0: and welcome to another edition of Uniquely Designed. I'm so happy that you have tuned in. Now you know what to do by now because you've been watching this for a few seasons. Go ahead and share this with someone. Let someone know that we are on and that we are live um, and that you can share this with one of your friends, your family, your uncle, your aunt, your cousin that's sitting there watching Netflix. Tell them to tune in right now to YouTube so that they can watch this interview. You all know by now that I'm very biased. I am very biased, unashamedly biased with the people that I get to talk to because I have some amazing friends, some amazing people that I am connected to, and I get to share them with you. I am not selfish. I share every great thing that I have with the great people that I am connected with. with this you. So today, This conversation is no less great uh, than any of the other ones that you have heard and that you have tuned into. I get to talk today with my wonderful friend of many, many years, Dr. April Webster. Welcome to the podcast today.
1: I am so excited to be here. I'm excited, Mario. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for selecting me to be a part of such a phenomenal podcast.
0: Well, I am happy that you are here. We have, just for those who um, don't know, um, we have been, I always like to start here because it makes me feel old, but we have <laughs> been friends for over 20 years now. Yes. When I was growing up, I would always remember hearing people say they had friends for over 20 years. And I'm like, they are so old. Uh, but now <laughs> to be in that era now to be able to say 20 years and not just 20 years friends that you've been friends with before social media what about that Mm
1: -hmm. what about that yes true friends
0: yes and we are both native Kentuckians you from western well no both of us are from western Kentucky
1: yeah
0: yeah so What was it like? Because I grew up in a very small town and I'm saying this as a a um, background to where you are now. It's very important because um, sometimes how we were raised shapes who we became. Um, And sometimes it causes us to go a different direction. But uh, me being from a place called Greenville, Kentucky, which was a small place that many people have not heard of, and here you being from a place called Hickman, Kentucky, uh, which is a place that a lot of people have not heard of. So how did growing up in that type of small town, um, community, um, family-oriented place, um, really shape start to shape you before you even went to your experience in college. Um, we're going to get to that too, you know. But how can you say when you look back now um, to say what you what you gained from growing up in a small town?
1: Well, let me say I am a true believer that small things listen, big things come out of small places, you know. And so, uh, growing up in a small town of Hickman, Kentucky, that had probably two to 3,000 people max is just one for the books alone. That means we had one stoplight, one high school, all those things. But it really helped shape me being being the family dynamic. Everyone there was so big on family. And um, the family dynamic is so important. I grew up in a two-parent household with my mother and my father. They both worked. They were hard workers and that helped shape and mold me to the hustler that I am today. I mean, I seen them work their nine to fives and they continue to come home and take care of the home. I seen that growing up in our community, majority of the family, if they were single family homes or not, you seen that work dynamic, you seen them going above and beyond for their family. And those are things that have really helped catapult me to where I am today my upbringing in that type of environment
0: now growing up in that type of environment now i want to ask because i don't know a lot about hickman was hickman, hickman uh, predominantly black or was it mixed
1: it was actually mixed so a good thing it was mixed and a lot of the families communicated like i have friends that are uh different race. Of course, and we are still friends. Uh, we're still friends to this day. Over 20 plus years, I see them. Uh, we have high school, uh, you know, reunions and everyone come back and fellowship. I follow them on social media. They do the same. Um, we still have really good friendships, but it was a mixed community. Of course, we have certain things that we do in the community that was more for the African Americans. And so we still come back and celebrate, like, for example, the 8th of August is what we do in Kentucky. So we still go back home. We try to celebrate. We still try to pour into our community. We try to give back majority of the people that have relocated and you know started their lives and careers other places. We do try to come back at least one time a year to do something and to impact our community as a whole.
0: Now you said something about the 8th of August. Now what's that?
1: Yes. Okay. So the 8th of August is celebrated in Kentucky because that is when the news came up from Texas and all those other places. Of em- Emancipation Proclamation, so it did not reach Western Kentucky until the eighth of August. So, yes, we have Juneteenth, as you know now, it has been celebrated and is recognized. Thank God, that's great. But it still didn't reach certain parts of the world, being Kentucky, until August. Yeah. So we celebrate the eighth of August, and we have celebrated that ever since I was a little girl. My family and people would travel back home as a homecoming celebration during that weekend.
0: Yeah. I always think, and um, for those who are being introduced to you, you are also um, an evangelist. And um, immediately when you said that about August the 8th, and of course, June 10th is celebrated um, at a different time and how the announcement of freedom came in different times. Yes. Everybody still got the announcement. I just, while you were talking, I was just like, Ooh.
1: Listen, the word still Stop. got there at some point. We may get it at different times. Oh, yes. and you know what, Mario, don't, don't, don't push me now because that's just so on on point when we think about it. You know, the word they were free. We were all free, but some other word, it didn't get to certain people until a certain time. So they still was operating in a capacity that they were already relieved from. But until the freedom actually got to Kentucky, they didn't know. So they were still, you know, being held as slaves. So thank God that it did reach us at the time, which was months later.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just, I'll say, ooh, I'm gonna leave that one alone. I'm just gonna. Get <laughs> if she didn't say it. I'm just gonna come out of that um, for the purpose of this podcast. But I'm gonna save that for another time. I might, you might hear that again. Um, yes. So I asked that about. You coming from a a background that could have been predominantly black or not, based on your decision uh, to come to Kentucky State, when that part of Kentucky is also close to Tennessee, um, Mm -hmm. and you could have gone to any of the great Um, schools that are there in that area HBCU or PWI Um, so what was it that even made you or shaped your decision uh, to go to and even a mutual friend of ours from there um, came to Kentucky State that made you what drew you to Kentucky State
1: Kentucky State was always on my to-do list like I knew I wanted to go to the HBCU so I started researching the different HBCUs that were close by First, I looked at the TSU, the Tennessee State. I looked at Fish University. I looked at going to Clark Atlanta. You know, I had several different places. And then I was like, wait, Kentucky State is a place right here that's in the state of Kentucky. And I ended up finding out that someone from my hometown actually went to Kentucky State. And then I ended up finding out that one of my uncles, he's my uncle cousin. He graduated from Kentucky State. So I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that. So I began to just touch bases with him. And he told me a lot about K-State and just the things that was offered. And I went to do a tour, me and one of my best friends, we both graduated from K-State. And we immediately was like, this is where we're going. It was no second guessing. We knew from that very moment that we was going to go to Kentucky State.
0: What happened for you at Kentucky State that you know, without any question, you couldn't have gotten any other place?
1: Listen, at Kentucky State, I told you I grew up with this dynamic of family. And what I gained from K-State is lifetime friendship, like me and you, Mario, for 20 plus years. I gained another sense of family. It was that extended family that I feel like if you go to PW, you just, you don't get it like that. I feel like going to an HBCU, you truly make those lifetime friendships. You truly connect with family members. Like I can come to Lexington, I can travel and I know I can come to your house and sit down and eat at your table without any questions. I can call anybody that I really know from K-State and I'm saying, I'm in your city. They're gonna meet up with me. They're gonna make arrangements. We're gonna do something. And that's a sense of family. That family unity, that family connection that you gain from an HBCU, it go, it's nothing like it. And I truly feel like if I would have went somewhere else, I wouldn't have had that. I don't feel like I would have those same connections. I feel like that that would have been a missing piece for me. And I am just grateful for that opportunity because it is that extra family dynamic that I still have. Even when my father transitioned, I had people that traveled from K-State to be there to support. They showed up. They call. they text, they send flowers, they donated to the scholarship fund. You gain that sense of that family, that family dynamic, it goes, it's unmatched for me.
0: Well, I ask that because, um, you know, and it's it's hard to explain for people who have not experienced it. Um, Also hard to explain for people who don't look like us as well. But I want, I'm asking from the standpoint of, Do you still feel like it is relevant now because you have, you know, governors that are trying to, um, you know, banning certain books about Mm -hmm. Black history? Um, You have certain things that are being done to make it very hard and difficult for uh, Black Americans to be able to excel in different areas. Um, So I feel like from just my perspective that the HBCU, you know, though some people have reduced it down to just um, sororities, fraternities and the band um, and and football. Um, But I feel that there is a, during your collegiate years, undergrad, you are developing, learning yourself, evolving, and it it brings about a safe community of which Mm -hmm. you can find yourself among other people who Look like you and will protect you while you're doing that. So, I wanted to ask you that, you know, from what you came from it, because you're also in the business world now um, and entrepreneurial, and we'll get into those different things as well as you talked about your dad. Uh, but the relevancy of it now, because I was even talking to my youngest son, and he was just like, I know you feel like I'm supposed to go to HBCU. There's no better school than HBCU. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I am not saying that. I am saying there are great, many great schools. What I am saying is that while you are developing, there's you there's a difference in going to a school that you are a name. I mean, you are a number versus going to a school that you are a name Um, and uh, your teachers, your professors, your community, your your president knows you by name. Um, yes. that's a different type of uh, environment to be a part of. So that's why I wanted to ask you your thoughts uh, surrounding those different things in this climate that we're in now.
1: I'm telling you, Mario, I'm glad that you mentioned that, because that is truly key. When you can walk into the room and you know your professor, that they, they know your name. Like you said, the president, you can interact with these people. You can see them in passing and they know exactly who you are. Sometimes they'll know uh, what you did and what you didn't do if you showed over class. That makes it so much better because it's important. And I, I want to say this, too. i never forget. I was uh doing an intern with one that, someone that was working in the president's office at K-State. And I literally went and ch- had a chance to go stay at their home and all of those things. And they he told me, I'll never forget. He's no longer K-State, so I won't say his name. He said, you are destined for greatness. And he was like, no matter where you go, make sure you walk into a room and you own it. He said, just like how you come in here and you talk to us and you, you know, you, everybody know when you walk in here, they know who you are. And that is something that have, st- it has just stayed with me throughout my life. So right now, when I walk into a room, I make sure I own it. I can be the only African-American woman in there. You better believe it, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to hold my own. And, and those are things that you learn when you're in those type of environments because they help teach us and empower us and encourage us to understand who we are. And if we don't continue to do the same thing, then we will be eventually erased out of history books. We will eventually be forgotten about. We have to continue to be that voice for our culture. Or if not, it will eventually die out. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I think it came from being at an institution like Kentucky State to make me realize that, yes, I am a beautiful, black, educated woman. And when I walk into the room, I'm going to own it. I'm going to hold my own. I'm going to make sure that they feel my presence before I leave that place. And I think that's that that helps empower us to know who we are, who we are called to be, all of those things. It comes from those type of environments to let you know that you are called for greater. There's more on the inside of you. And I, and I will never forget that. He was like, you're destined for greatness. Now, had I heard it before from other people? Yes. But it was from that moment that I really grabbed a hold of it. It was like, it just was that, ah, moment, like, you are right, I am, you know? So yeah. I think those are just key moments in our life that we won't forget, pivotal moments too.
0: And for many of us, that was the first place that some of us had been exposed yes. to doctors, you know, um, that were not yeah. in hospitals, you know, but Dr. So-and-so or whatever was walking around among us, we didn't really pay. I, I think back oftentimes to how... We had some great, you know, we always had like convocations and assemblies, but to think back to the the caliber of people who would be speaking, mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. anything of it at that time. You know, we <laughs> were just seeing people walk through the campus or walk in the cafeteria. I didn't think anything of it. Now mm-hmm. think of these people and you have to pay top dollar to see them speak. Yeah. People like, they were like, they were at my school, <laughs> you know, and I, I slept in or I wasn't <laughs> paying attention, you know, and that type of excellence. So mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, move from that because those who are watching or listening to this with the audio, those of you on are, uh, are listening on audio, you don't notice this. But for those of you who are watching um, via visual on YouTube, you do see that, that she loves um, Red. And um, I don't know if you were... I, I do have this question because I also noticed that, and this is my assumption. And you have to be careful making assumptions. But it seems as if your family loves Rate as well. Uh, so I say that before you answer it, because you know you are also a member of uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, part of your family unit that you already had at Hickman. Then you grab the family unit at. Kentucky State, and then you went into sisterhood there mm-hmm. at Kentucky State as well. What even shaped you as it relates to even moving into that particular sisterhood, which I know might be the whole rest of our podcast that you could yeah. talk <laughs> for the whole next 30 minutes, you know, but yeah, what, what, what did you, what, you know, caused you to even move into that direction uh, because you already had that family unit, you know, mm-hmm. what was it about uh, the great deltas that drew you in?
1: It was actually one of my high school teachers and my basketball coach. She was a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So as I looked at a leader among a lot of predominantly white at, at the school that I grew up, it was pretty much you see more Caucasian teachers and professors. So it was one lady and she stood out among the rest of them. And she was a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And um. She was someone that really poured into us. She took us on trips to Atlanta, We went to the Martin Luther King um, Museums and places. She made sure that we knew our history. She made sure that we were informed of our culture and things that we should know as African-American students in our high school years. And it was her passion to educate us. It was her passion to teach us and to show us, not just to talk about it. She made sure to invest into us. And then I would always see her wearing her letters and represent so wherever she was going. She was interacting with other women and just those connections. I'm like, okay. And I had other family members that are members of other sororities, and they really was hoping that I was going to go that direction. But it was something about her leadership skills. It was something about the impact that she had on my life. She is, she's is. she been a president of our of one of the local chapters. Uh, she has served, even when I knew her, she had crossed uh, years prior, of course. She's my father's classmate. And she is still an active member today. She is still a financial member today. I seen her just recently at our uh, regional conventions and stuff. So she is still involved. And I knew That I wanted to be a part of something that I wasn't going to just be a name or on paper, but I was going to definitely be someone that was going to be active and to to be involved and that was going to make a difference and to impact and to do what we are called to do, which is to serve and to be a serving leader. And I seen that in her at a young age. And when I went on the grounds of K-State, I wanted nothing to do with nobody else. But to be a part of Delta Sigma Theta, I was determined that I was going to be one because I seen that representation and I knew that is the type of leader that I wanted to be from what I seen from her. So, yes, yeah, she's still my mentor. We still take pictures whenever we get a chance to see each other. I love on her because she showed me what a true servant leader was.
0: Yeah.
1: And I can go on and on about Delta. So I'm going to cut it off right there, I can, Mario. You I, I, I told
0: you, you 100%. could go for 30 minutes. I know this. I know because yeah. you- You've been in the sisterhood how long now?
1: I crossed in fall of one, 2001. So we're coming up on our 23rd year, 22 years in the game. You know, I have a love Alpha pie chapter, Kentucky State University. That's where I was initiated. I'm a part of Jackson, Tennessee, alumni chapter where I serve on the chaplain council. I'm a, a chair for several different committees, still active, still involved to this day. Still believe in being a serving leader Have had an opportunity to speak for uh, two different Founders Day program, one for my chapter, one for another chapter. So just grateful for that opportunity to be a part of a strong sisterhood that is still committed to public service.
0: Yeah. So you have family unit has been the lifeblood, the foundation of mostly what you have built on. Now, going into the area of entrepreneurship and how you have um, co-founded, I think, in, um, I did not want to say the year, because uh, I'm going to mess it up. Uh, but,
1: 2010.
0: 2010. I was getting ready to say it. I was like, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, you know, the loving arms. Um, and um, not only have you done that, which we're going to get into that, but now you even have a lipstick line um that has come out you're wearing the shirt a lachelle uh, as well bring it all out
1: plug.
0: <laughs> for all the people it is, it is this is your interview you can do what you want to you can get up and walk around if you want to and it, to demonstrate for the people um but what caused you was it did you always see um that you were going in the direction of an entrepreneur a businesswoman Um, Mm -hmm. where did that transition? Where did you, because some people are really satisfied, you know, come out of college and are okay with working for somebody else um, for however many years and not, it's not wrong, but this is what some people do. Um, And then some people journey for a long time, trying to find themselves and what it is, you know, still trying to find themselves. Where did you, something shift in you that says, Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. And this is why I am going to do it. And, you know, talk about a loving arms and a La shell as well. So as to why it was yes. created and um, why you felt that pull to go into that direction.
1: Good question. It was while I was in, at Kentucky State, I was working on my master's degree and I was working for a company just like the one that I have today. And I never get I was just tired, just going. I was working on my master's, working every single day. I was in the director's position and there was no more room for growth. Literally, the executive director is still there today. And this was in 2006. So I had got to the top level and I knew that there was nowhere else for me to go. And I had a passion for what I was doing. And so I remember having a conversation with the owner and I told her it was it was like one of those moments. I sat there and I said, if I can work this hard for someone else, I clearly can work this hard for myself. I was giving my all. I would miss family gatherings. Now, family has always been big for me. So I would miss Thanksgiving. I would miss Christmas holidays because there was some time I was on call. So I had to work. I had to be the person to oversee the business, the day-to-day operation of the residential department. So I knew that I had the ability to do it. I had learned a lot from the company. I had begun to see numbers for that company. And I began to say, I can figure this out. And so I remember going on the fast, believing in fasting and praying. Yes, he said I'm an evangelist. So I went on a fast and I just began to ask God to open the door. And so I stepped out on faith. I relocated to Memphis, Tennessee without a job.
0: And let me ask you this before you go for it. Now, were you in ministry at that time as well? I was running from ministry. Let me tell you, this ain't something I wanted to do. I'm just trying to, I want it because the timeline, because I don't, you know, when, like, even when did you, like, so you're running as, and for those people who, I uh, don't know what the term "running" means in ministry because okay. we are we've been in church, hurt April, and I've we've been here a long time. So we just we throw our words and everything. Everybody knows them. Right. Like, running. This doesn't necessarily mean running with your feet. You know,
1: right.
0: You know, you're called to do something, and you're trying to put it on do not disturb. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, that's not. it you know, and a lot of us experience that. And that doesn't just mean a calling from God. That could be your calling to your purpose, your destiny, whatever it is, you know, we try to ignore it. So you were feeling the pull to go into a CEO, entrepreneur, businesswoman, and ministry at the same time. So you were feeling both pulls?
1: I was feeling both and I did not want to do the ministry thing. So I'm like, okay, I know that in, in, I've always been one, definitely always in church as you stated fasting and praying so yeah. i knew god yeah. was calling me for more with that but i wouldn't i'm like yeah lord not right now you know so as i moved to memphis and i stepped out on faith and all those things i was trusting god and it's like my passion i just kept being drawn to that population of people i would apply for jobs nothing would happen i'm like okay now i have these degrees i have the ed- i have the experience i have that's years that's of that's leadership that's I have this master's degree. I have years. I have worked in this field for years and I would not get a job. So I want to pause and say this, Mario, to anyone that's listening that feel like you have come to a dead end, you come to a, a halt or you come to a yield and it seems like you're not moving forward. Let me encourage you right now to just stay on that path that you know you're supposed to be on because I literally paused. I had to pivot. So I had to pick up other jobs. I shifted careers. For a moment into counseling, but I kept being drawn back to this field that I have my business in. It was truly my passion. Anytime you have that pulling and that tugging on you, it is probably more towards your passion. Bishop C.D. Jakes have a quote that says, if you do not know your purpose, then find your passion because your passion will lead you to your purpose. That pulling just kept tugging on me. So long story short, years passed, Mario. 2006, 2010, years began to pass me by and I was not an entrepreneur. I was working in a career. I was making decent money, but I still was not happy completely. I wasn't satisfied. I still knew that there was more and I was still working with somebody else at that point. It wasn't until I really said, okay, now is the time. This is the right season. We're going to step out. We're going to do this. We were working behind the scenes. The whole time I worked for somebody else, I was still working behind the scenes, planning, preparing, getting my business in order. So when we opened our door and whenever I resigned from that company, I wasn't going to look back. I was determined not to look back. And we have been going strong, going into our 11th year nonstop with, with love and arms. So. It was one of those things you just have to continue to work towards what it what you know you're called to do. I knew I was supposed to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wasn't supposed to always have a nine to five. I knew I wasn't supposed to clock in. I knew that just was not the thing for me. Now I'm not against it. I'm not saying it's something because we have to have people. I have to have people that work for me. Yeah, I got to have people to come to work. So, but now, I just knew loving, God was calling um, me.
0: Those who don't know, loving uh, Loving Arms is a home care. Um, mm-hmm. A business. What even allowed, uh, what pulled you even in that direction?
1: Guess what? It was right after K-State. I landed in that job. After K-State, I applied for a job. I had my bachelor's degree and it was, they had a bet on me that I wouldn't make it because I had long nails at that time. I had on the heels. I was going to work cute every day. They're like, oh, she ain't going to last about seven days. They, they literally had a bet going behind my back on how long I was going to make it on that job. Today, I have a business just like that job. And I'm saying that to say, people can doubt you. They can count you out. They may think you're not qualified, but when God has called you to whatever it is, he qualifies us. So when I worked for that company, Mario, I knew from day one, I loved it. I knew from day one, these are the people that I want to help. I was a servant leader. I knew This vulnerable population here, I will give them everything that I have. And I still, even those ones back in Kentucky, whenever I go to homecoming, I stop by that company because they believed in me and they gave me a glimpse of what God was calling me to do later on. I still go visit them. I still communicate with them. I follow them on social media, everything, even to this day. The owner of the company, I still will communicate with her. The director, which was my supervisor, I still communicate with them today. Years later, I still have that relationship.
0: And isn't Eleven Arms, doesn't it have multiple locations now?
1: Yes, Eleven Arms is located in Jackson, Tennessee, which is our headquarters. And we have our second office, which is in Memphis, Tennessee. We serve all of West Tennessee. Uh, we have 24-hour service where we provide assistance with uh, activities of daily living to the people that we support. Yeah, we work with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and that. also the elderly population. We do care for the elderly as well.
0: And they had a bet that because of your long nails, yes, heels and all that, that you would not make it.
1: They had a bet going. No. They literally.
0: So we're going now with just even that into the area of delving into fashion. Um, because mm-hmm. before we get there, it's a very important uh, part to mention um, because this next business idea came from this very important person uh, in your life. Uh, yes. With, uh, your husband, uh, Brother Webster. <laughs> so, yes. Make sure you don't need a fan to start fanning yourself while I'm talking about this. Uh, but of which you all also have a beautiful daughter, by the name of Mahogany. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this next business idea. Came from him. I mm-hmm. think this, I love this story actually. So I want you to share how yes. your next business idea came because you could have stopped with, yeah. um, you know, just loving arms. Mm-hmm. But I, I see a connection between the long nails, the heels, and all this stuff to now. Right. Um, <laughs> It's all come full circle for me now. It comes full
1: circle. I was like, I, comes- remember, I,
0: was like I remember that, April. So, yes. <laughs> uh, talk, about, talk about how that idea uh, was birthed.
1: Okay. So, my husband, LaShawn Webster, you, and let me say this I want to go back to tie this into what the man at K State said to me and what my husband said to me. He told me that I was destined for greatness back in 1998, we were at K-State, that era. And he sowed that seed into me. And I believe those words that he said. Fast forward to my husband who loved my red lipstick. I would only wear red lipstick. And one day we were just having a conversation. He said, you should have your own lipstick brand. My husband sowed that word to me. And just like the man at K-State did, I said, oh, you're right. I can have my own lipstick brand. All it took, was for him to speak it over my life me to grab a hold of it to say you're right and I ran on with the rest of it the rest is history at that point I began to work figure out how how can I have my own lipstick and I began to contact people make those connections and literally I started putting on my vision board for two years I had on my vision board I had it up before me. I had the name. I would have red lipstick. I would find a little cutout of the magazine of red lips. I put it on my vision board. I, lipstick. I put it on my vision board. And for two years, I would just pray over that, that it would be the right connection in the right season and the right timing. And literally, all of that happened in 2022 is when Ayla Shell was birthed. So you, we have to be careful both ways what is spoken over our life regardless good or bad because once that seed is planted you can either grab a hold of it and allow it to take root in your life and it produces fruit or it can do the opposite you know what i'm saying so for me both of those things that have been spoken over my life i grabbed a hold of it and i ran with it and now as you see ayla shell is here
0: so even start like you know starting say i want to start a cologne line you know yeah. How, I mean, how do you even, I mean, I'm always intrigued by that. There's a great friend of mine who has a um, a beard cream that he started. Okay. That's not, it's not even just um, um, to beard cream, but I use it. So I always say it, uh, but he, this used for other places, all natural product and stuff like that. And I was interested as well with his answer. Like, you know, you have that idea that seed got planted, you know, because I'm, 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 what I'm digging at as well, because the word, that that uh, person said to you at Kentucky State is what you have continued to sing to do with not just hearing things, but every space to own that space, to own that room. So there are a lot of people who hear, "Girl, you dress. You should be a tailor. You should be a fashion designer. You should be a singer. You should come out with an album." And people be like, "Oh, please, i will no, not." You know, we brush it off, but you yeah. took that. Everything that's been spoken—I'm not going to say everything, but most things right. that you have heard that stuck out to you that have been pivotal points in your life—you have mm-hmm. taken those and be like, "I think I will," <laughs> you know, instead of yeah. no, "No, no, no," because there are so many of us and people who are watching right now are listening, who destiny and purpose is reach literally reaching out to you through conversations through ideas, through driving down the road and somebody says, you know what? You are really good with children. Like you should really, I mean, and we hear these things as abstract things like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've always been good with children or whatever. When reality, as you went back to Bishop Jake's quote, it could really be your passion area that is really something that is attached to your purpose. So I just wanted to ask that, lean into that a little bit more. Like, what is it about, your makeup I'm gonna say makeup I'm not talking about you know uh cosmetic things but your makeup as far as your DNA that causes you to hear something and it won't let you go even though we're yeah. going to, to minister in a minute because because you, yeah. you you try to run from that but like <laughs> something in you now that's like I when I hear something I'm holding on to that thing um yeah. until I see it.
1: You know what i think it is i believe in the power of words and my father we would we have a conversation about this often words can hurt words can help and you know and you have to understand that once the spoken word is out there it can do one of the two things so for me i've always tried to grab the word and allow it to help now some things like you said have been spoken i'm like oh no that's not me but there are certain times when a word is spoken to you you like okay Grab a hold of that. And I think that's just what it is for me. There's things that I just let go to the wayside. But there are times when it's, I, I grab a hold of that word. And then, I like I said, when my husband said it. I started working that word for two years. I put it up on my wall. K-State I, for 10 years later, i am said it working that word, you know. So I just think that I understand the words have in uh dr city trim she says is words have power presence and prophetic implications you have to determine which one that is when that word is spoken over you some of those things have been prophetic for me that's why i made sure to put it into action because i knew it just resonated with my spirit also you know i i want to get too deep in all that but it just kind of resonated with me to what i knew i'm gonna hold on to that when i'm gonna work that word. yeah so you know faith I- that faith without works is what then yeah. and you know, so I believe in working the word literally, uh, in all aspects.
0: So I want to go back to that working the word thing because you've tried to run from the word for a long time. <laughs> uh, so, um when we were in college, we were both in the award-winning gospel ensemble. Yes. Um, those of you who did not know that april sings and can sing april used to be in the alto section um yes. around, around the second row i believe were you the second row second
1: row second row love that area Look, we had our group.
0: <laughs> so i was the director so that's why i remember where people stood i don't remember everybody so those of you who say you remember where i stood no i don't i don't remember everybody <laughs> <laughs> there's some people because if you were in the first and the second row that right. meant you had a certain presence uh, you were good like visual like we if you were in the first yeah. and second row maybe third you were not just good vocally but you had great presence if you were in the fourth and fifth <clears throat> you were just in the choir uh, but you those first thing. those first and second rows were very uh, people would fight for those roles.
1: oh we yeah um,
0: so i want to ask you did you feel the pull into ministry even when you were in at Kentucky State and I asked that because and I don't know this part <clears throat> so this is why I love having interviews because I get to ask questions that I, I wonder yeah. um, being from western Kentucky I can imagine I don't know the landscape of Hickman but I don't know if you saw women in ministry uh, oh. at that time And I know that we're also in a time now that people, for some reason, still have this conversation about, you know, women can't be used or whatever, you know, and realizing, um, you know, even though right or wrong, you know, the Bible was written um, in a time of uh, uh, misogynistic of views and yes. perspectives that doesn't mean it was right or wrong it was just how they viewed things and women were not Absolutely. you know uh, empowered to that degree so a lot of times when we reference you know the bible says well mm-hmm. it's also said under a certain context or whatever in purview but anyhow but i just wonder was some of your reservation about the pull you felt about ministry because it was something you had not seen or maybe going back to even family dynamics, like what will they say? So I'm I'm just asking that because that really That's a good made, question. Me start, made me start thinking. I was like, I wonder how that was, was that a part of the, was that a part of the, the pool and the run?
1: Definitely a part of the pool and the run. I was come from a family that I am the only female preacher, um, and my family all respect it. They love it. They have. They're still in awe. I think when I get up to speak, because they're still looking at April and they're like, is "She really up there? Like she really do this?" You know.
0: Your mom, um, your mom is like, if if there was a if there
1: ever was a person that can do this,
0: uh, if there was like <laughs> April fan club. Your mom is like,
1: she has a fan club. Listen, she's going to she have, have
0: a phone out and everything. It's she's the the
1: chair. She's the chair of the fan club. She is my number one cheerleader, but. um I did not grow up in a family that we seen women preachers. I did not grow up in a church where we seen women preachers. There are still some churches in my hometown that I have not had an opportunity to preach at. And I'm okay with that because I understand that's just not the culture there. But the majority of the churches I have, um, it was just something that was not really in the rural area. I come from more of the uh Bible belt as far as the Baptist, you know, denomination or whatever. So it's just something that was was not. Scene. So for me to ever say, "Oh, I'm gonna be an evangelist and a preacher," it was not gonna be my first thing to do. So I knew it, and I ran from it for years because I felt like, "What are they gonna think about this?" You know, uh, I'm always big on definitely. I had um, some time that I wanted to please my family. I wanted to please people around me. So I went through a phase, honestly, being totally transparent. That I wanted to be the one that everybody's love and crazy about. And, you know, I pleased them. But when I realized, when I really said yes, it was even more. Like all of my family, all my friends, everybody supported. They support me. They travel with me, as you know. They give me their 110%. For those
0: of you who ever invite April which I suggest that you do uh, <laughs> functions. She never comes by herself. Like she had, never. there's usually 10 people traveling with her way before there were entourages and security guards. Yeah. Her family, they are that group. Um, and her friend circle, um, mm-hmm. which says a lot about your loyalty and your friendship and your support of others that they in turn do that same for you. Yeah, they do. I, I wanted to like what even though you eventually surrendered to it mm-hmm. was it fearful like was it scary for you to just be like all right you know because you'd never seen it like did you you know so like what going back even at school like did you feel that pull even then or was it after school as it was it whatever like how long did I, you feel that pull
1: mario you know what i can remember a time and, and I i hope you can remember this we were on a gospel ensemble trip and I think we had just got back and we were at Exxon and we were in the parking lot of Exxon. Yes, Do you remember that? Yes. It was like one of the crusades had taken place. I that mean, right, right there on K-State campus and I remember we were just all crying out and we were just drunk in the spirit. and It was a high that it was like we didn't want to come down from and I remember even in that moment, like I knew God was calling me for more back then. Like I can recall times that I knew I was in, in hearing from the Lord. And I'm like, oh stop. I'm still having a good time. I'm still, you know, listen, I'm still the doubt that's gonna lead the line. I'm gonna stroll. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna make some drinks. I'm gonna do some. I don't think the Lord really wants me just yet. You know, I was one of them, but it was always there. So no matter what I would do that I knew was still that not quite right on Sunday morning, I was gonna be at house of God. I was gonna be there praising. I was going to be there. It was no matter what I did. That poor was always, you better get you better get to the house of the Lord, though. You know where you're supposed to be. And it was like I always knew it. I just wasn't ready for it. I just, I just felt like I had time. Have we heard of that? You know, I got time. So I just felt like I still had enough time. But I can recall, I can give you several stories, Mario, of trips that we had that I knew God was. Pulling me and tugging me then I was like well now let Mario you know I'll let Mario do it he's good he's already he's ready to accept his call <laughs> not me so if did I, I, ever, felt-
0: um, I don't know if I ever told you uh, that even though you know um, I've seen you know preachers in my family um, growing up but I didn't I was never interested in it at all I wanted to be just a choir director I had every desire to be the next Kurt Franklin is what I wanted to be yes
1: you did um, <laughs>
0: Every desire to be there, <laughs> but <laughs> anyhow. Um, but I remember I announced I remember announcing my uh, surrendering to my call in gospel Ensemble. I remember that right wow, one, what yeah. it was. And um, I remember someone in the tenor section said, Child, God is calling anybody these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can, re- I'm sure. <laughs> I can pick a few people that
0: probably said that. Yes, you could. And I remember at a few homecomings ago uh, in Kentucky State, I ran into him and I said, do you remember when you said to me, <laughs> you said, oh my, did I say that? I said, you did. Yes, you. I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm saying, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to apologize. But yeah, I said that because that is something that sticks with me from a place of God could have used anybody, but yes. for whatever reason, you know, he's calling anybody, you know, yes. but I think about that when you, said, when you said I was mixing drinks or whatever, like that call, it never changes its mind. It never changes. Like I'm not even talking about it. And I'm saying that broadening it for those of you who are watching it, even for us, it may not be in a pulpit. It may not be in ministry. It may not right. be whatever, but that purpose, that anything, I don't care Woo! what you do it will never let you go. It will stay with mm-hmm. you. 70 years old. And you that thing will wrestle you down <laughs> until you finally say, all right. Until
1: you finally surrender. And yeah. look, Mario, I remember when I started, like, I got up to testify at a women's conference. And during that, after the testimony, people were coming up to me like, oh, you need to be the next speaker. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. They're like, no, you need to be the, yeah, we need to get you to speak. And I'm like, No. So I started saying I was a motivational speaker. I still did not want to say that I'm an evangelist or that I'm a preacher or any of that stuff. So I said, okay, I will say I'm a motivational speaker. You know, I wanted to change even the terminology of what God had called me to be. I didn't even want to put that label on myself, even at that point, you know. But when I finally surrendered, I said, okay, my pastor, like, you got to quit bootlegging. Stop out here, you bootlegging now, you know, like go ahead and Yes, we've been waiting for you to just say, "Okay, God has called me; I'm accepting it." So, finally, in 2017, I finally said, "Okay," to the right. will
0: of the Lord. I remember. I remember. Yeah. I, remember. I remember. I called you. Remember, I'm like, "Listen, look, I need some we, guidance." We would have conversations. was like, "All right, how do I keep my voice? Because I just get so excited.
1: I'm so excited. By the time I finish preaching, my voice is gone. I'm like, Lord, I just screamed at the people." <laughs>
0: um but it's exciting it's exciting it to, to look back and to see um how it wouldn't let us go i I just it think that's, that's 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 an exciting thing I that
1: could, right there is something mario put a pin there it, it wouldn't let us go so no matter what we go through in life you can run you can say it, it won't let you go it, it at some point in your life you will have to surrender to whatever that call is that purpose is you will have to surrender to it. And I'm yeah. glad that I did. I'm thinking myself, it wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, I should have just said yes sooner, but everything happened in this timing.
0: Yeah. So now at this stage, as we wrap up, as we could talk for the yeah. next two hours. You know, we could go. Um, where do you see um A Shell, arms, uh, mm-hmm. and whatever? Uh, oh, ooh, my bad. Also, you are an author. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Two books, uh, one a devotional and talk about even that, you know, um, because one pivotal thing that launched you and that you've had so many pivotal moments. Um, Now that I'm just thinking back (laughs) because, you know, your dad, I'm a great man, you know, who passed away um, and um, was one of the reasons why you launched your book about being a daddy's girl, um, which was not just talking about him but about a relationship with God you know mm-hmm. I should have brought my stuff out cuz I got all your April Webster stuff over here in my corner yeah. uh, <laughs> so, um, the book
1: is here Probably dark in the moment but yes, yes right
0: here. so what even did you even see an author coming out of you or were you just writing and just couldn't stop writing and then looked up and like I think I'm I'm writing a book you know where did that you move into that direction
1: Good question. Now, i seen the author and I thought I was going to be doing a devotional. I knew I was going to do a devotional, but I thought it was going to be a 40-day devotional for women. So I had this whole process in my mind. I had turned 40. It was 2020, which was 40. You know, so I went all these breakdowns of 40. I didn't, and I started trying to write, but for some reason, it just was like I had writer's block. I could not ever finish. I would Sit down, be still, do all this other people tell you to do. I could not write the book. It was not until my father got sick, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it was in my quiet moment of praying and fasting that he transitioned. And then the Lord said, count the days. At that point, I had not counted the days to see how long it was or anything like that. I heard clearly count the days. And I counted the day from the day my father was diagnosed to the day he transitioned and it was 40 days at that point i knew that's what the 40-day devotion was the whole time i got a glimpse of it and i knew i was supposed to do it in 2020 it wasn't until 2022 that i began to write it my father transitioned but the crazy thing is i wrote the book in 40 days now the whole time that i was trying to write the book i never could get anywhere where it just would not flow when i sat down to literally write the book, Mario, it took me 40 days to finish the book. And that was a 40 day devotion that God wanted me to work out, which was daddy's girls. And it is to empower and to equip and to encourage women all over to understand that some of us are blessed to have the presence of our father like I did. Some are not. Some have stepfathers or male figures, but at the end of the day, all of us have the heavenly father and we are created in his image and in his likeness. And whatever we deal with in life, if we will just lean into him, if we will just call out to him, he will help us get through any situation. I can only speak and preach and teach today because of the strength of God, who is my father. So in the absence of my natural father, who I've missed and I love dearly, it's only been a year, May 24th, made a year. I am still standing strong because of my heavenly father. And that's how daddy girl was birthed. And I'm grateful because I now have been able to empower and encourage women to understand who we are called to be, who God created us to be. And um, through that process, I have healed, I've I've been able to minister to other women that have been broken from the lack of not even having a father figure, you know, in their life. Some did not have it. A lot of my friends grew up in my hometown. My father was like a father figure to them as well. So, you know, it's just been a blessing in spite of, it's been a blessing to understand that we do have that heavenly father. And Mario, I don't know if you had a chance to hear my one single that came out. That is yeah. on iTunes and all other uh media platforms.
0: Yes, I mentioned oh. that. I did listen to that. And um, I I, yeah. I said, is there a rapper somewhere that was trying to show up in the in the house like I meant to text you and I kept forgetting to do that?
1: Listen, I was dropping some bars. Okay, let me tell you. I, I don't know where this strength has come from. I don't know where all of these ideas have been birthed from, but when I can when I tell you. Daddy God has been downloading some things with this girl that I am in awe of, okay? And there is more to come. I'm just at the beginning of this thing. So Daddy's Girl is a movement. I have Daddy Girl Inc. established. It is my nonprofit organization. I have Dr. April Webster Ministry, which is my LLC where my books are under, which is Daddy Girl. And in my second book, which is I Am, which is working the principles. I believe in working the principles for everything in my life. The principle of faith, the principle of sowing, the principle of reaping. So I discuss all of that in the I Am book.
0: Yes. Yeah. So with that, um, which now I can come back to the same thing I was getting ready to ask before. Where do you see Ayla Shell, um, Loving Arms, Dr. Um, Webster Ministries, Um, and everything else. <laughs> you know, uh this this uh Dr. Webster Enterprise um yes. that is just foundation, or whatever that is being launched, where do you see it? Um or what do you envision it unfolding?
1: Okay. So for a Shell, I definitely want to get Ala Shell in more of some retail stores. My goal is to definitely uh, by the end of 2020. Three, my goal is to have some partnerships with Ala Shell in some very uh, well-known stores. I am working behind the scene on that now, so y'all stay tuned. I can't tell you right now until it happens, but definitely trying to get Ala Shell out there. La Shell is a natural lipstick. My favorite color is red, so you know I had to have the red hot, but I have a variety of colors for women all over. The thing about Ala Shell, it is for women to understand that we have to have a covering and so I believe we should always walk out with our lips being covered because that is our mouthpiece. We use our mouthpiece for God. We use it to empower others, to encourage others. So we need to make sure that we have our lips covered. So one of my things is don't forget your covering. And then, Ayla Shell, uh, it is I am beautiful, blessed and bold. So I do have bold colors. I have colors that will draw attention to your. A mouth, of course, to your lips when you speak, but I do have neutral colors as well. So my goal for Ala Shell, like I said, is to definitely become a known lipstick brand among women all over, from professional to millennials. I, it is no limit when it comes to a Shell. I want it to be a household name for women of color, especially, but for women all over to feel empowered. Now for Dr. April Webster Ministry, Inc. and all the stuff is up under that that umbrella, I still don't know. I I am really walking by faith. I'm trusting God to lead me to what he wants for that to be. I don't know Mario yet. I'm still working out the blueprints of it myself. And I do know I've had two women empowerment events here in Jackson that were very successful. Uh, I have been... um, Having people asking for the third one, which is going to come up in September, I'm working on that date, and it's a free event where we encourage women. We share testimonies of how we have overcome different things, and it's just to encourage and uplift other women. And so that has been a good success. I do know I'm going to do some things with young adults to help uh, teach them some etiquette and proper things when it comes to trying to further their life and what's next for them. So there will be a component that I'm working on with Daddy's Girl that's going to be more of a teenage group. Uh, to a young adult age. So that's the next phase. But I don't know what the end goal is for it as of now. All I'm doing is work at the beginning and we're going to figure out the middle in between as God give it to me. Yeah,
0: that's good. So mm-hmm. for everyone who needs to know and how they can get not just your product, but they can follow on all your different platforms so that they yeah. can what is the gateway so that they can get to everything that is Dr. April Webster.
1: Okay. So my website is very easy. It is Dr. April Webster LLC.com or ala shell.com. Those are very easy. Social media handles. You can always find me at April Webster, or you can always search Dr. April Webster or a Shell. a Lachelle Cosmetics so on all of the TikToks, the Instagram, Facebook. If you do it, Dr. April Webster or April Webster or a Lachelle, you'll get me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and get, you know, TikTok, and they can find you now on Apple Music or Google Play or yes. whatever stuff. Listen
1: y'all, I dropped my one CD, y'all, no one single, let me correct myself, my one single and I think it's such a cute little song, it, it really was supposed to be kind of like an affirmation my goal was the affirmation of CD and my schedule has been so busy so I had to do one single, so it, it is an affirmation single that I have released, so check it out on Apple Play, iTunes, all those good things
0: well, available. I, I am grateful for you spending this time and I wanted before yeah. we before we end um, for you to speak to anyone who uh, could have been the you uh, that you are mm-hmm. not now with, you know, um, being bet on um, not to secede mm-hmm. and bet on not to move forward. Uh, but you took a bet on yourself. More importantly, mm-hmm. I took a bet on you. Uh, So I want you to speak to um, someone or anybody that might be listening that um, you feel uh, pulled to talk to that would encourage them in whatever season they're in right now.
1: Oh, and Mario, before I do that, I want to say it's something that you just said, the season that you're in, because when I left from my hometown to go to K-State, it was five hours away. The bet then was I was not going to make it. I would drop out of college. I would get pregnant. And uh, I would come back to Hickman. That was the bet then. Then I told y'all the bet about my career when I started that. Then when I started Loving Arms, the bet was my business was not going to succeed. 11 years later, uh, we will be bankrupt. We would not, listen, people will bet on you. People will bet against you. But I want to encourage everyone that is listening to me that there's greater on the inside of you than what the world can see. As long as you bet on yourself, Trust yourself, work your plan, work your vision, do what you know you're called to do. Give it your all. You will always come out victorious. You will always be on top. You got to think big. Don't surround yourself with small thinking. People that are on the bottom level, you got to go above that. When they go low, you go high. All of those things are so important because people will count you out. They will doubt you. They will second guess you. Never question yourself. Stand on your own toes, stand stand on your square, know who you're called to be, know that you're destined for greatness, don't give up when things get hard, you continue to press, you continue to move forward, continue to trust the process in spite of how it may look, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, keep your eyes focused, straight ahead on what you want to do in life, and listen, I'm a living witness that it can come to pass, People have counted me out every phase, every season, Mario. When you just said that, it made me realize literally every season, every segment of my life, someone doubted me. Someone thought I would not make it. You always go against the odds. Bet on yourself and you will always come out as a winner.
0: And as the guy said to you, uh, own the room that you go in, whatever room that you want. it. So thank you for um, that. And all of you who have been watching, I hope that you feel better than you felt um, a few minutes okay. ago before you got on here. And um, thank you for tuning in. Tune in to the next episode. And you know, uh, whatever you do, continue to embrace your own unique design. I'll see you all soon. Goodbye.